0: طيب بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العلم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحل من لساني يفقه قولي all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise him, we seek his assistance and we seek his forgiveness. And we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evil of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Uh, whomsoever Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala decrees guidance upon, then none can misguide him. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, decrees misguidance upon, then none can guide him. And peace and salutations be upon our beloved leader and messenger and teacher, Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I bear witness that there's no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his messenger. Um, My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace and blessings and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you all. I welcome you all to um, the restart of um, the summarized provisions for the hereafter classes, um, a class that has been put into place especially uh, for our brothers and sisters working in the da'wah, but uh, not exclusively. Um, everyone is is um, encouraged and um, allowed to participate. And the reason for this, uh, just to uh, remind those who were with us uh, during our last series um, and to inform those who are joining us now. And mashallah, we have um, a few people, uh, a good few people, mashallah, um, that have joined us. Walillahi um, alhamd. The reason for this class is to ensure that, you know, especially for those who are working in the da'wah, um, irrespective of capacity. Uh, then you have a means of uh, filling yourself up. Uh, the reason why I say filling yourself up, my dear brothers and sisters, is uh, because, you know, when you work in the da'wah, sometimes you get so busy, um, it's impossible for you, or very difficult for you, uh, to uh, continue with other classes, especially since, you know, you, are, you you have other obligations. You have your job, you have your family, um, and everybody's circumstances are different. And then what happens is, you work in the da'wah, and you end up becoming a person that gives and gives and gives. So you give everything that you have uh, without filling yourself up. And uh, this leads to um, demotivation. People become demotivated. Uh, because, you know, Shaytan is always... Uh, he's, he's surrounding you. You know, it's not even correct to say he's he's on your back. No, the reality is uh, Shaytan is... Uh, he's, he's, he's surrounding you. He doesn't want you to be a means of strengthening Islam, and that's what everyone does when they work in the dawah, irrespective of position. Uh, you're a means of uh, protecting Islam, so um, you have to, ha- you know, create those mechanisms that strengthen you against Shaytan, um, and it, it is. It is uh, not praiseworthy for you to leave those mechanisms that cause you to become weakened over time. Uh, and as a result, you drop out of uh, a unique situation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts you in and uh, you make shaitan happy as a result. It's, you know, I'm, uh, for those who are workers in the da'wah, I'm sure uh, you have felt uh, weakness at times. I'm sure you've come across people who have left um, at times, um, you know, And uh, I'm sure you've seen the reasons why. A lot of pettiness comes in, things which are non-issues become issues. um, And this is all due to us not filling ourselves up. You know, we emptied the tank, we don't fill up the tank. It's knowledge really that empowers us. And we know that Rasulullah وسلّم he spread this da'wah through teaching. (coughs) He spread this da'wah through teaching. Um, so he taught, sallallahu wasallam, and he taught and he taught and he taught, and and the people who were, um, you know, chained um, and shackled with polytheism and shirk, uh, they became uh, the best people who walked uh, the face of um, this earth. Alhamdulillah. So you know, this is a lesson for everyone here uh, that for you to really excel in da'wah, you have to study, you have to learn. Uh, and that's why uh, I've brought this class, it's an online class. You know, we do it on a, on a Saturday, uh, trying to take into consideration the different time zones. Alhamdulillah, we have people from Australia in class, we have uh, people from America in class, we have people from the UK in class, we have people from Southern Africa in class, we have people from all over the place. So inshallah, Allah has blessed us with regards to the timing. Um, one of the things, uh, one of the other reasons, brothers and sisters, why um, I am saying that, we need to study, especially when we work in the da'wah, is because you are a representative of Islam. Right? People look up to you, people take guidance from you, you know, and generally people take that from all Muslims. Uh, But when you take a position in the da'wah, then people see you as a guide, as one of those guiding stars. And uh, many a time I've seen people work in the da'wah, but their character is not da'wah-like, if I can say that. Their speech is not da'wah-like. Um, if I can say that. Um, you know, um, it's just, it it, it, it's, it becomes a sad state of affairs that they, they, you know, there's a big conference happening or there's a feeding program happening, uh, and then you have elements uh, that, uh, you know, have positions of authority, but we're not seeing the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is not being uh, witnessed. Um, so, you know, this is another reason why we need to have this class. And Zad al-Ma'ad, or provisions for the hereafter, the summarized class was a good run-through uh, for many reasons that I shared at the beginning of our last series. Now, for those who are new, uh, you can access the notes uh, on my website, www.sajidumar.com. Uh, inshallah, Sister zakira can uh, put up links as well for you all or send those links via email. And also, you can access the audio. By visiting my SoundCloud page, all the audios are up there, and you can also access the audio uh, by downloading my app, um, the Sajid Umar app that's available on uh, both the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. Okay, so it's highly advisable that at least for now you go through the first lesson, which highlights why Zad al Ma'ad is an important study and our methodology. uh, As we as we traverse uh, through uh, this particular uh, book, now we did have a quite long discussion surrounding the the introduction to the book uh, because it was pivotal, um, given that this book or the content of this book. Uh, is related to Muhammad s.a.w. But as uh, we discussed in our last series, in terms of the fiqh parts, then we won't be diving into too much detail with regards to them. The aim of the class is not to be a fiqh class, um, and um, you know uh, the author has predominantly built uh, the fiqh discussion in this book upon uh, the discussion of Ibn al-Qayyim in, in in his book, Provisions for the Hereafter. Ibn al-Qayyim was uh, a Hanbali scholar. Yes, he did have his own ijtihadat, uh, meaning his own rulings that might have gone against the mainstream Hanbali madhab uh, because of other evidences that he considered uh, more stronger. But in general, um, his pillars of building or deducing his fiqh uh, was in, in a large way Hanbali. Uh, and thus a lot of what you read in terms of the fiqh part of this particular book is humbly based. So it's not for you to become confused. You still follow that which your teachers have taught you. This is for you to become enlightened. And that's why uh, I won't be uh, diving into too many fiqh discussions and difference of opinion and so on and so forth. Rather, we just want to take the guidance and develop ourselves from the discussion. Um, InshaAllah... Today we'll be beginning uh, the chapter detailing the Prophet's guidance uh, with regards to uh, wudu, And um, I would like um, our dear uh, student and brother uh, Hisham Ja'far, if his microphone is uh, working, uh, to read for us the entire text of this particular chapter, and then inshallah we will dive into a discussion. Now each and every one of you, uh, alhamdulillah, you were sent the link to the notes. Um, so I presume the notes are open in front of you so I've asked Hisham to uh, sort of quicken the reading so we can get through it insha'Allah because each and every one of you uh, is supposed to be following uh, walillahilhamd via the text in front of you I'm going to switch off my microphone uh, for a little bit and then uh, I'll leave Hisham to read uh,
1: insha'Allah He وسلم, used to perform ablution for every prayer most of the times Although sometimes he might pray with one ablution Sometimes he would perform ablution with a mudd of water Sometimes with two-thirds of a mudd and sometimes more And he was the most frugal of the people in pouring water for ablution And he warned his people against wasting it It has been authentically reported from him that he That he performed ablution washing each limb once, twice and three times Sometimes he wasallam) would wash his limbs twice and others three times And he would rinse his mouth with the mud And sniff water into his nose which is called istinshaq Sometimes with one handful of water Sometimes with two And sometimes with three And he used to combine the rinsing of the mouth And the sniffing of water into his nose I.e. he used to do both with the same handful of water And he used to sniff the water with his right hand and expel it Which is called Thar using his left hand. Sometimes he would wipe over the whole of his head and sometimes he would pass his hands back and forth, but it has not been authentically reported from him that he ever wiped over only a part of his head. But if he wiped over his forelock, he would complete the wiping over his headdress. He never performed ablution without rinsing his mouth and sniffing water into his nose and it has not been recorded from him that he even once abandoned them. Likewise he has, he never once abandoned the sequence of actions and continuity in ablution and he would wash his feet if they were not in leather socks or ordinary socks and he would wipe over his ears both outside and in along with his head and every hadith reported concerning the azkar of ablution is a lie except saying bismillah at the beginning of it and the words ashhadu an la ilaha illallahu. wahdahu la sharika lah wa أَنَّ anna muhammadan 'abduhu wa rasuluh Allahumma مِنَ min at مِنَ wa I testify none is worthy of worship except Allah alone and I testify that Muhammad is his slave and messenger O oh Allah make me of those who turn to you in repentance and make me among those who purify themselves There is another hadith in Sunan an-Nasa'i Subhanaka Allahumma bihamdik أَنْ an la ilaha illa anta wa atubu ilayk Glory be to you, O Allah, and praise and thanks. I testify that none is worthy of worship except you. I seek forgiveness from you, and I turn to you in repentance. He never said at the beginning of it, I make the intention. Nor did any of the companions, radiallahu anhum, ever did so. And he never repeated the washing of his limbs more than three times. Likewise, it has not been authentically reported from him that he washed above the elbows or the ankles, nor was it his habitual practice to dry his limbs. He used to run his fingers through his beard sometimes, but it was not his regular practice to do so. He also used to wash between his fingers and toes, but he did not always do do so. As for moving the ring, a weak hadith has been reported in this regard. It has been authentically reported from him that when at home and when travelling he would wipe over his socks. The time for the resident being a day and a night, and for the traveller three days and three nights. He used to wipe over the tops of his leather socks and and he wiped over his ordinary socks and he wiped over his headdress and his forelock, contenting himself with that. It is possible that this was only in special circumstances dictated by need and it is also possible that it is general and this is more likely. He He did not act at variance with the circumstances of his feet. Rather, if they were encased in leather socks, he would wipe over them and if they were uncovered, he would wash them. He would perform tayammum by striking the ground which he intended to pray once for his hand on his face. Regardless of whether it was dust, soil or sand, and it has been authentically reported from, what, from him that he said, "حيثما أَدْرَكَتْ رَجُلًا مِنْ أمتي الصلاة فَعِنْدَهُ مَسْجِدُهُ وَطَهُرُهُ Whenever any man from amongst my people happened to be when the time of prayer overtook him, he has his mosque and his means of purifying himself. When he traveled with the companions during the Tabuk campaign they crossed those sands and their water became scarce and it was not reported from him that he carried dust with him, nor did he order it and nor did any of his companions do so, and if anyone thinks upon this he must affirm that he performed tayammum with sand It has not been authentically reported from him that he performed tayammum for every prayer, i.e. that he renewed it nor that he ordered it Indeed, he declared it to be general and affirmed that it took the place of ablution.
0: Jazakallahu um uh, Akhi Hisham, uh, ahsanallahu ilayk, uh, for that reading. So, um, this is what our author, uh, Rahimahullah, has summarized from uh, Ibn al-Qayyim's uh, writing. Uh, related to the guidance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with regards to wudu. Now, if you open the original writing of Ibn al-Qayyim, it's, it's a much longer discussion. Uh, it's, filled of, it's filled with fiqh, it's filled with differences of opinion and so on and so forth. The author here has summarized, and, and, uh, it, and this is true to the name of the book, a summarized version of the provisions for the hereafter. Um, now, if you notice the style of writing or, or the style of summary, Uh, You will see that uh, in each sentence and uh, uh, paragraph, there's one of two things happening. Either the most important points are being cited or a response to um, views that the, the, the summarizer does not agree with. Um, uh, um, uh, takes place. So he's responding to them, right? Uh, And a lot of this you can see at the end of the chapter. For example, uh, he says that uh, it hasn't been uh, reported that the Prophet ﷺ ordered the companions to carry the sand uh, with them. This is a response because some scholars say that tayammum has to be performed uh, using sand. And dust is not enough. So this is a response. Um, For example, he says that uh, tayammum, um, or the Prophet ﷺ, uh, you know, uh, performed tayammum uh, and then observed worship, and there's nothing authentically reported that he performed tayammum for every prayer, right? So this is a response, because uh, there are some scholars who believe that tayammum uh, is done per ibadah, uh, per Act of worship. So, uh, if you're going to uh, uh, perform tayammum and observe salah, then you gonna you need to observe another salah or another act of worship that requires wudu. Then another tayammum is done, right? So this is a response, and this shows you the the, the view of Ibn al-Qayyim, and, and here the summarized view of the author, uh, or the or um as well as the as well as the author of the summarized version, right? That they saying that the correct view here is if you perform tayammum once, then it's like wudu. You can practice every act of worship until that wudu breaks. Until your ritual purity breaks rather. So it's as if you made wudu with water. When you, ma- when you observe wudu with water, uh, it lasts until um, uh, that wudu breaks right so he's responding to the view of those scholars who say that tayammum is different to wudu in that tayammum has to be done for each and every act of worship irrespective of whether you nullified your ritual purity or not so these are just examples just to make you understand uh, the methodology of The summarization taking place so he's going to mention the most important points and some of the points you might be scratching your head and thinking okay why is this mentioned in the summary Uh, but this is mentioned based on uh, responding to views that uh, the author does not uh, agree with or does not consider to be strong now when we say that the author doesn't agree with the view it doesn't mean that those views um, you know are absolutely false um, and uh, are built upon no evidence no they also have the evidences. However, uh, the author is citing what he sees as the strong view, rahimahullah. So I just want to make this clear. So it doesn't mean that if you're following a madhab different to what the author is saying, that you should become confused right now. No, this is not your place. Your place, my dear brothers and sisters, is to follow your teachers, those who are responsible for your Islamic matters. They are your evidence, because uh, the evidence for the layperson is his or her scholar. Scholar, right? So don't become confused. Now, somebody might say, okay, why has he chosen to offer these responses? There are other issues. How come we don't see responses to those issues uh, here uh, in the notes of the author? Well, firstly, uh, because you know, it's a summarized book. Secondly, it's a summarized book of another author's work, which is Ibn Al-Qayyim, rahimahullah. And thirdly, because uh, whenever you summarize something, you're going to focus on the issues that exist you know, during your time. Right, So it doesn't mean that the author hasn't responded to perhaps other issues related to wudu uh, that may be weak issues or weak views that other uh, people have. And he's, he's, he's omitted responding to them. This doesn't mean that he does not consider them uh, weak issues. Right, So there's no correlation here. The fact that a response to something hasn't been cited or... Uh, and uh, something important hasn 't been cited doesn 't necessarily translate into the author uh, having a view or not having a view right? this is very important uh, you know in philosophy they they speak about you know the the, the cock crows uh every day at dawn, but that doesn 't mean that dawn happens because the 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 cock crows right. Right? So uh, this is a similar circumstance, my dear brothers and sisters. So uh, I'm just trying to make clear the methodology here. Um, of the author, that um, it is a summarized version, so it's not going to cover every response and it's not going to cover every issue, rather the author is going to focus on the most pressing issues at his time, and this is the case with every scholar that has written uh, throughout the centuries of Islam, whether they have written a book related to theology, uh, or aqeedah and belief, uh, or whether they, uh, and iman, or whether they've written a book uh, related to uh, fiqh, or any other matter, you know, some scholars authored um, books uh, related to the Qur'an or specific matters of the Qur'an. Uh, and they never intended their book to be comprehensive, right? Rather, uh, they authored it because of a certain situation that crept up at a certain time. And you know, we learn from this an important point, my dear brothers and sisters. And that is when when beliefs that uh, we find weak start to spread, right? Um, the way of the scholars is to teach, is to teach, is to write books, is to carry out lessons. The way of the scholar is not to uh, debate, uh, unless in exceptional circumstances, right? So it's not to debate, and in today's day and age, we have social media, and then to go out on social media and start offering, um, you know, uh, public, um, uh, testimony to the views of a person, da'i, a, a specific da'i or scholar, uh, his personal views or views that he doesn't hold and so on and so forth. This wasn't uh, the way of the scholars. I'm saying in general. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's haram to go on social media and put out a view if there is a specific resolve uh, and benefit for that to happen. But in terms of a tarbiyah point, then um, this is the way of the scholars. That whenever somebody comes across or comes out, with a view that goes against the norm or um, is really considered weak by many, uh, then the way of the scholar at that time to help uh, continue guidance for the masses is to write a book or to teach, not to engage in debate and confuse the, the laity, uh, confuse uh, the layman and the general public even further. right? Uh, and to be honest, this is one of uh, the advices uh, shared uh, with me by our Sheikh Ja'far Idris uh, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower upon him uh, cure um, and this advice uh, i sought via his son Sheikh Yusuf Idris um, hafizahullah especially in today's day and age where you know uh, the da'wah becomes filled with uh, you know certain people who become a spoke uh, a spokesperson or a mouthpiece uh, for matters related to Islam, not because of the knowledge, but because of other circumstances. Uh, and then they come about and say something, um, what sh- should the response be? Because as we've seen today, sometimes somebody says something, then uh, responses happen on Facebook, then the lay people, the lay people start believing they are scholars and they can respond to the scholars, so they get on the bandwagon and, and, and start insulting a certain scholar, and this is lack of adab and lack of character. Uh, and then it just becomes a big mess. Uh, and indeed the sharia doesn't like you know these messes so uh, i sought advice from uh, the sheikh hafizahullah his son sheikh yusuf idris and his advice was to uh, increase the teaching of good that, that that is what his advice was increase the teaching of uh, goodness and those teachings that are uh, correct and those teachings which are praiseworthy don't be reactive and respond; rather, be active and proactive. Meaning, don't be passive where you just don't do anything, but be proactive in that you are active and you're active in the right way. You're active, um, taking into consideration the correct circumstances. You're active with wisdom, right? So, really, this advice is sound. Uh, may Allah preserve our Sheikh and grant him cure. I mean, and this advice is based, you know, on His reading of the works of scholars over the centuries of Islam. Alhamdulillah. Now today the discussion is about wudu. Now wudu uh, is an Arabic term and we also have wadu. Wadu with uh, a fatha on the wow uh, which is also an Arabic term. So what's the difference between wudu with a dhamma and wadu with a Fathah? Well wadu um, has been explained by some of the scholars of the Arabic language um, as uh, the name of that which you use, which you use to observe the wudu. Whilst wudu is the action of uh, purity. Okay, so wudu, what the fathah refers to, uh, the water uh, that is used, and, and and we find this in some narrations that the Prophet sallam requested the wudu, right? Um, which means he requested water to observe the ablution. Uh, some scholars have said wudu and Wudu both refer to the same thing. They're just two types of languages. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, this is the discussion referring to the two. Uh, in terms of wudu and the action, then all the scholars of the Madhab have attempted to um, uh, define uh, the term wudu And Wudhu, Walillahilhamd, is something that we all know. It's that action that we observe uh, before Salah or those set... Uh, actions that we observe to um, ascertain ritual ritual purity. So this is uh, the discussion related to uh, wudu. Now wudu, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, is an important act of worship, and this is something we must understand from the outset. You know, a lot of the time people say, "What's the wisdom behind wudu?" Right? What are the? What's the wisdom? Um, and uh, they forget the point that it is an act of worship. right? So some people, uh, may Allah protect us all and grant us steadfastness, you know, shaitan whispers to them and they start doubting. They say, you know, what is the wisdom? Because um, if we pass wind, may Allah honor you all, or use the lavatory, may Allah honor you all, and our hands and face and everything else is clean, how come we wash every part uh, and and not just... Uh, make the washing of the private parts uh, something specific, right? May Allah honor you all. Some people say, if I pass wind, how come I don't wash the area where wind was passed from? May Allah honor you all. And I have to wash my face and, and all, all these things, right? Some people say, you know, sand is, is has dirt in it. Sand, uh, in fact, you know, today people call sand dirt. And how is it that I attain ritual purity by using sand, um, uh, you know, when, when water is not available? So using sand as a means of uh, purification when water isn't available, right? These are questions that people with weak iman or people that shaitan is sort of, um, you know, um, getting hold of begin to ask. And the reality is, it's an act of worship. That's the reality. And, uh, you know, Imam al-Shaltibi, rahimahullah, and others, uh, Imam al-Shaltibi in his book Al-Muwafaqat and in his book Al-I'tisam, very amazing books that he's written, he discusses this, the importance of um, appreciating something being an act of worship as a wisdom. Right? Imam al-Shaltibi, uh, Hisham, Imam al Um So, He discusses the importance of us appreciating something being an act of worship as a wisdom. That it's enough, that it's an act of worship, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, prescribed it, and we will be rewarded as a result of looking after it. This is enough for us, right? And this is the reality of wudu, my dear brothers and sisters, that irrespective of which way our mind flows, it's an act of worship, like salah is an act of worship. Right? Doesn't have to make sense. The reality is this is the prescription. This is the prescription, and this is the reality of you and I um, in this world today. Right? We are here uh, to earn our paradise. Right? To earn the mercy of Allah that, inshallah, will be a means of us getting to to paradise. Right? This is the reality. Right? So um, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, as part of the test, uh, asks us to do certain things. Right? which make manifest the level of belief that we have. That's Islam, to submit to the will of Allah, whether it makes sense, whether it doesn't make sense, whether you understand the wisdoms, whether you don't understand the wisdoms, and indeed in everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prescribes, there is wisdom. But our our minds differ in terms of our abilities to appreciate these wisdoms. And if we don't know now, we will definitely know on the day of Qiyamah. Right, so this is very important, my dear brothers and sisters, um, and you know perhaps something for us to speak about at lunchtime or at dinner time, especially with our teens, especially with those in university, because you know when you go to university, you get exposed to a plethora of thought, and um, this thought is not governed by any borders. You're free to think, and uh, what happens is some people become a victim. Right, they become a victim instead of a product. They become a victim of some thought, right? Instead of uh, being the person that develops thought and fixes thought, and they become a product in and of themselves of correcting wrong thought. They become a victim of it, and then this uh, starts a domino effect until a point comes where they start leaving acts of worship, leaving their salawat, Iyyadu billah may Allah subhanahu wa taala protect us. So I'm highlighting this just like the author has highlighted his things. I'm highlighting this because this is an issue in our time, my dear brothers and sisters. These are questions that come to me. These are confusions that our youth have, right? And uh, you, especially being a person who works in the da'wah, it's important that you are aware of this and uh, appreciate this. So, the greatest wisdom of wudu is ibadah. And when we say ibadah, we mean that if you do it, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala rewards you. And if Allah rewards you, it means your paradise grows as a result of it, right? So, there is wisdom in it. That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, the wisdom of wudu is to help you build the greater jannah. The wisdom of wudu is to help you become forgiven. Right, so they're metaphysical benefits, right? That go beyond the scope of our minds' ability to comprehend. So, um, and we know from countless narrations that we are forgiven when we observe the wudu. And we'll come across those narrations bidni taala. Now, if we look at the famous statement of Ali radiAllahu um, he uh, discussed this issue of using our aql or our mind in front of naql in front of revelation. And he said that if religion was based on, you know, what suits your mind and what doesn't suit your mind, then in terms of wiping over the socks, you would be wiping underneath your feet, not on top of your your feet. Now we know if somebody is wearing, uh, you know, socks and they, they uh, choose to wipe over their socks during wudu, then uh, they wipe over the top. Because this is what Rasulullah sallallahu did. Now somebody might say, you know what, why don't I wipe at the bottom? Because I walk on the bottom, the bottom is what touches the dirt. So rather I wipe on the bottom, right? But no, Rasulullah sallallahu wiped at the top. And the author here also mentions this whole discussion uh, about um, wiping um over he, uh, the, or re, uh, related to rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam um washing his feet if they were not in leather socks and he would wipe over uh, and and he, uh, which means we understand from this that he would wipe over his socks uh, if he was wearing them i'm just stating this now because we we're at the discussion we're at the discussion so please forgive uh the randomness uh, but since we are discussing this, this, the statement of Ali, عنه, so the author does mention this, and the reason why he mentions this is this you know is because the Shia the Shia they denied this ruling about wiping over the socks right so they uh, uh, denied this so the author has put this here as a response to them and for those who carry similar beliefs that the Prophet did wipe on his socks and that's why some of the scholars of belief or theology. They would include the discussion about wiping over leather socks as part of their notes when they taught aqidah, right? Why? Because uh, of the Shia and their denial of this being part and parcel of the religion, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But the point to note, my dear brothers and sisters, is uh, there are wisdoms behind Wudu, and the greatest wisdom is a chance for us to have our sins forgiven, and a chance for us to build our uh, hereafter. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us Jannah. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Um, in terms of the many narrations, my dear brothers and sisters, regarding Wudu, then uh, we have the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu An. This hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. He says that, I heard the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say that on on the day of rising, my community will be called those with white blazes on their or, or, or white shades of light on their forehead and limbs, right? And this is so because of the effects of wudu, Right, so this is the hadith. This is the hadith. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu He added, according to the preferred opinion from the scholars, he added a statement here, meaning this statement that I'm about to say to you is not from the opinion or not from the statement of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They say this is from the statement of the narrator of the hadith, which is Abu Hurairah. And he says, So whoever of you can increase the extent of the whiteness should do so. So uh, in this hadith, Rasulullah sallam is saying that on the day of Qiyamah, uh, there will be people from the ummah of Rasulullah sallam that will have shining hands and um, limbs, right? Or their foreheads. Um, and limbs of wudu will shine. Uh, and in terms of the narration of the hadith, it goes on to say, so whoever of you can increase the extent of the whiteness should do so. Now the scholars have said this last part is not from Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? Because somebody might start washing his hands up to his shoulders, or washing his feet up to his knees, for example. Because that's by default that's what you'd want. You'd want uh, more light, right, on your limbs. So you'll end up um, washing. Um, you, uh, you, know, you, you, uh, you would end up by default increasing the, the, the area that should be washed. And this is not what is intended, my dear brothers and sisters. And as the scholars have said, the statement is from Abu Hurairah. And that's why the author in his notes, in his notes, when Hisham read, uh, uh, you heard the discussion that Rasulullah wasallam used to uh, wash up to his ankles. And it's not established that he used to wash above it, right? Right? Um, Let me see if I can uh, find it. Um, um, Bismillah. But it's it's, it's in the notes um, and please uh, refer to it. I can't uh, see it here offhand very quickly and just to avoid killing the momentum of the class. Uh, I'll allow you to go back to it. But nonetheless, as we said that, you know, um, the author here places his discussions uh, sometimes in response to certain views. So what we need to understand is that from this hadith, that a person who is frequent with his or her wudu then on the day of piyamah, they will be raised, walillah, with shining limbs. Um, and as for the last part so whoever of you can increase then this is from the statement of Abu Hurairah radiyallahu and not from the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and also we must remember my dear brothers and sisters that, uh, that the sharia in general does not support waste and does not love waste so uh, what's better for us is to follow the uh, is to uh, wash what needs to be washed properly uh, without increasing because if we increase, then uh, it can become a form of waste. So this is from the blessings of wudu. In another hadith of Abu Hurairah, uh, which is in Sahih Muslim, he says that, I heard my friend عنه, say, the adornment of the believer reaches the places his wudu reaches. Right. So the adornments of the believers reach the places that their wudu Reaches right, so the 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 your rewards are proportionate to the quality of your wudu. So basically, this hadith is affirming that we are rewarded when we observe wudu, and the quality of our wudu uh, dictates. Um, the quality of rewards that we receive, and this is the case with every act of worship. In another hadith, Abu Hurairah radiyallahu reports that the Prophet sallallahu wa said, "Shall I direct you to something by which Allah will wipe out errors and raise you in degrees?" So the companion said, "Yes, please, O Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam." And he said, "Doing thorough wudu in adverse circumstances, meaning you continue to observe uh, the wudu even though." Um, it's cold for example, it's very cold, right? But you wake up and you observe the wudu so you can observe the prayer. This is more difficult, so your rewards will be greater. And if you can do it during the difficult times, then you're a person who will observe wudu during the times of ease. So he says, doing thorough wudu in adverse circumstances, taking a lot of steps to the masjid, which means when you go to the masjid, you try and choose the longest way to get to the masjid if easy. Right? So you leave for the masjid in good time which allows you to get to the front row and observe the the the, the beginning of the salah or the takbir with the imam and uh, you leave you know with good time to spare so you can take the longest route to the masjid because every step that you take or every second that you spend on your way to the masjid, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarding you and removing your sins. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, doing thorough wudu in adverse circumstances, taking a lot of steps to the masjid and waiting for one prayer after another prayer. Right? Uh, and then Rasulullah wasallam says, that is what you should hold to, that is what you should hold to. And this is in Sahih Muslim and other books of hadith um, uh, as well. So um, what we see here, my dear brothers and sisters, is uh, Rasulullah sallam encouraging us to a few things. And, and one of the things is, you know, missing salah and loving salah when i say missing salah i don't mean you should miss it i mean you should miss it by leaving it out i mean you should miss it in that your heart should be so attached to it that when one salah is finished you can't wait for the next salah um and you know especially those who are working in the da'wah we have to get to the stage my dear brothers and sisters whereby you know we start the salah with the imam Right, and this is a message to myself first and foremost. We start the salah with the imam. It's not that when the salah is finished, uh, the people turn around and they see those who work in the dawah standing up to complete the prayer. Okay, so try and make it that habit that when you um, uh, hear the adhan, make your wudu and go to the masjid, right? Because your love for the masjid would be praiseworthy. So, you, and you're not losing out by sitting in the masjid. And this is if you can, of course, if you can. Um, You hear the adhan, you make your wudu, you get to the masjid. Right? And you make dua between adhan and iqamah. That Allah blesses your da'wah, increases your knowledge, accepts from you. This is a beautiful time. And there's angels making dua for you as well during this time. And then you observe the salah. And once the salah is finished, you observe your adhkar if you can. If you need to go, then you observe your adhkar whilst you're going. But once you leave, you can't wait for the next salah. That means your heart is attached to the masjid and attached to salah. If you can't go to the masjid, then at least it's attached to salah. Right? You can't wait for the time of salah to kick in so you can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again. And no doubt, there's no greater uh, salah than the compulsory salawat. Okay? So uh, this hadith uh, is very heart-touching and very tarbiyah-based and um, very inspirational. Right, And this is from the advice of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa In another hadith Abu Hurairah reports that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that when the Muslim or believing slave does wudu and washes his face, every wrong thing at which his eyes have looked leaves with water or with the last drop of water. And when he washes his hands, every wrong thing which his hands have touched leaves with the water or with the last drop of water. When he washes his feet, every wrong thing to which his feet have walked he leaves with the water, or with the last drop of water, until he emerges cleansed from sins. And this hadith is in Sahih Muslim and other books of hadith. Um, so, brothers and sisters, this is uh, another wonderful hadith. And this hadith, uh, related to wudu is indeed great guidance for us. Why? Because it helps us, you know, sort out the mistakes that we have during our day and night. Right? No doubt we look at things we shouldn't be looking at. Right, um, no doubt, um, we uh, we say things we shouldn't have said. We speak uh, words that we shouldn't speak. No doubt, sometimes we observe poor character, character that is not worthy of a Muslim. You know, sometimes we uh, um, the concentration of our salah is weak. Right, so we always go through these these ups and these downs. And uh, here, wudu has. This is a great wisdom. Remember, we said we'll come, we'll understand the wisdom when we uh, go uh, through the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu uh, alayhi teaching us about wudu. Right? Here, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam is teaching us that, look, you do a mistake, go make, you know, when you make wudu for your next salah, right? Then uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive you. And that is why make a beautiful wudu, don't make it a rushed wudu. And earlier we discussed that the reward is proportionate to the quality of the wudu, And appreciate that as you're washing your face, the sins of the face are moving, the sins of the eyes, the sins of the mouth, as you wash your mouth, as you wash your hands, as you wash your feet, right? And that is why once when a person uh, uh, fell prey uh, to to a female, and he engaged in some of the uh, beginning actions, uh, or what we know as foreplay, Uh, He didn't fall into zina, Allah protected him from it. He didn't fall into zina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him from it. But um, some of the foreplay matters he fell prey to. And he came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and uh, he says that, look, you know, uh, please cleanse me. And this is what happened, and so on and so forth. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, did you pray with us? Did you pray the last salah with us? Right? And Rasulullah wasallam was teaching this person here that your good deeds wipe out your bad deeds. Right? Now this doesn't mean that we should say, no, I'm, I'm going to pray salah just now, so let me do a sin now. No, because that's being disrespectful to Allah Taala, And it's the mercy of Allah that Allah has decreed that our good deeds will wipe out our bad deeds. But if we disrespect Allah, then Allah is the ultimate decider. Right, So we, sh- we shouldn't make it a habit of disrespecting Allah and we should never forget that there's no guarantee that we will live after the sin to observe a salah or make wudu or do a good act of worship or give some charity or do that uh, by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will forgive our sin. So let it not become a circumstance where we start guaranteeing ourselves salvation like the Christians do, the Christians, it's a totally wrong belief. They believe that going to church on Sunday covers the mistakes of the week. It's totally wrong belief. Firstly, it doesn't. right? They believe confession to the priest uh, removes the sins. It doesn't, firstly. Secondly, who said you're going to see Sunday? Even if we said that if you go to the church on Sunday, your sins will be forgiven, who says you're going to get to go to the church? Who says you'll be alive? Who says you'll, you know, you'll have ability even if you are alive? Who says that? right so muslims need to be careful that we don't fall into the traps of uh, or that the traps that previous nations fell into The shaitan deceived them and today we see it with some muslims and right? they say no you know i'll i'll delay hajj i'll go for hajj when i'm after 40 i'll go for hajj when i'm 50 you know because i have a lot of sins to do now right now, some people might be smiling and laughing at this but it's it's something to cry about al musta'an say we'll go for hajj when later on which teenager today wants to go for Hajj? Which person in his 20s wants to go for Hajj? People want their grandchildren to be almost getting married when they when they decide they want to go for Hajj nowadays. Because they think, you know, I'm going to live a bad life and Hajj cancels my, my, my uh, deeds, my bad deeds. And, you know, I'll be almost, uh, I'll be close to the grave. So that's a good time to go for Hajj. This is absolutely false, my dear brothers and sisters. Hajj is compulsory as soon as it becomes compulsory. And we should go. And also to have this viewpoint, it's a flawed viewpoint because you don't know if you live till that age, and then you'll be, you know, sinful, you'll be even more sinful for leaving Hajj and delaying Hajj when you could have performed the Hajj. Right? So we must be careful and ask Allah for steadfastness, that we don't fall into the trap that previous nations fell into because they were deceived by Shaytan. where we think, you know what, tomorrow I'll ask for forgiveness, or after this sin I'll become better, may Allah protect. Yes, I know there are sins that overpower us. I'm not doubting this, my dear brothers and sisters. There are sins that overpower us, we weak in front of them. But as long as you regret the sin, uh you know um, then that's a good sign and a sign of iman and keep making dua to allah to assist you and keep making istighfar and try and remove the triggers that allow you to fall into that sin you know if it's a sin based on sight try and mitigate what you see if it's a sin based on hearing try and mitigate what you hear right uh, by putting the processes in place to you know make you hear less or make you see less uh, of those things that that, that trigger you into uh, sin um, I'm not trying to make you lose hope here, my dear brothers and sisters, and that's why I'm adding this particular point. Right? Allah is the most forgiving. But in the same breath, we need to keep the, the discussion balanced. That don't take this part of the discussion and, 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 and let Shaytan uh, cook it in such a way, if I can use the term, that makes you uh, believe in, 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 in salvation with uh, uh, whilst forgetting the reality of punishment. That's not good for a believer. A believer is upon the middle way. They fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the same breath, they don't lose hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We were thinking of of, of taking a break, but the class seems to be flowing fluidly inshaAllah. And as you've noticed, we've reduced the class from two hours to one hour, 15 minutes. Um, so inshallah we will continue uh, for today's lesson and darts but the the discussion is open to you all if you prefer for the lesson to be 30 minutes and then a 5 minute break uh, and then another 30 minutes, and then Q&A. Uh, it's entirely up to you, my dear brothers and, and, and sisters. So I will leave um, the discussion open to you all. bi Okay, the next narration, my dear brothers and sisters, is the hadith, another hadith of Abu Hurairah an. And we can see, mashallah, how many narrations we have from Abu Hurairah an. Right? Especially in the chapter of Wudu, He reports that the Messenger came to the graveyard and said, Peace be upon you, abode of a believing people. Allah willing, we will join you. I wish that we could see our brothers. So they said, are we not your brothers, O Messenger of Allah? Right. Um, So the Prophet ﷺ said, You are my companions, not my brothers. My brothers are those who have not yet come. So they said, How can you know someone of your community who has not yet come? And the Messenger of of Allah ﷺ said, Do you not think that if a man had horses with white blazes, which were among dark black horses, that he would recognize his horses? They said, Yes indeed, O Messenger of Allah Subhanallah. He said, they will come with white blazes from Wudu, and I will precede them to the basin, meaning to the hawd, to the well. So this is this hadith is in Sahih Muslim, hadith number 249, uh, in some publications. And uh, it's a, another beautiful hadith, MashaAllah. All the teachings of Rasulullah sallam are beautiful. Uh, in this particular narration, Rasulullah wasallam is teaching us that we will be recognized on the day of Qiyamah, from amongst the billions and billions and trillions and, and masses of people based on the shining light that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam because of wudu. And there is a discussion between the scholars that is wudu from the specific matters of this ummah or uh, is wudu something that all the nations had before? And the majority of our scholars, rahmatullahi alaihim, they believe that wudu is something that the other nations before us had, because they also had the type of salah. And we have some narrations, like from the life of Ibrahim alayhi salam, where wudu was performed. So, majority of the scholars say that wudu was part and parcel of uh, previous nations. Previous nations. Um, uh, however, the, the, the style of wudu uh, could be different, but what's definite is that this—you uh, know—these blazes of light, these blazes of light that Allah has made as a reward for those who observe wudu is specific to the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? And um, this understanding is derived by looking at all the narrations, uh, and from those narrations is this particular narration. Right, so uh, Rasulullah sallallahu will recognize his brothers, meaning you and I, my dear brothers and sisters. Subhanallah, and Subhanallah, look how Rasulullah sallallahu says he misses us, He's saying, I, "I miss my brothers." And the companions who are with him, radhiyallahu anhumajumain, they're saying, "What do you mean, we your brothers? We are with you." He says, "No, you're not my brothers. My brothers I haven't seen yet. That's you and me, my dear brother and sister." And he says, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he 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 says. Uh, uh, or the companions say, but how can you miss someone you haven't seen? You don't know of, you haven't met. And he says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that I will know the, the, the white from amidst the rest. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. How beautiful is this, my dear brothers and sisters? You know, you know so Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam misses us before we were even born to miss him. Wallahi, he missed us before we were even born. He he's, he's missing the Muslims who are yet to be born, and then some Muslims are born and they don't miss Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam until very late in their life. So he missed them before they began to miss him, Subhanallah. And that is why, my dear brothers and sisters, look after the Sunnah. If you miss him, look after the Sunnah. A sign of us missing Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is looking after the Sunnah. Is in getting that miswak out. You know, when I use the miswak. It's me missing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa I miss him. He taught me so much good. There's so much khair in this miswaq. When you dress like the sunnah, I'm missing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When you have that beard, I'm missing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When you wear that hijab, I'm missing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa You might not be convinced about the hijab. As one sister from America called me, called me a few days ago to say that, you know, I've been wearing the hijab, but now I've taken it off because... Uh, I've reached, uh, I'm, I've become 17 and I feel I only wear it because um, uh, my parents told me to. And uh, I'm still trying to convince myself that it's it's not something cultural, etc., etc. May Allah grant us steadfastness. May Allah grant us steadfastness. Wallahu mustaan It's tough, my dear brothers and sisters. Wallahi. It's tough. You know, living in some countries is tough. Right? You know... Human nature is human nature. We, we fight racism, racism, but it occurs in, in different strands, in, 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 in different arenas and different areas, right? Where you wear a headscarf, uh, you don't even have to cover your face, you wear a headscarf, and even if it's colorful, even if it's, you know, it, 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 it's hijab, not ideal, but it's still hijab, people look at you, people judge you, right? You get a job, or you don't get a job. The apartheid exists, my dear brothers and sisters. So it's tough. And if you don't have steadfastness, that's what's going to happen. The pressure of society is going to confuse you and make you question your own beliefs. Right? Now, a belief is something established. That's why it's called belief. But when you start questioning that belief, that means something established became, you know, uh became something not established, it it, it it became weakened, it became something you lost belief in, it's no, it's no more something established, right? So we have many, many, um, you know, many areas in our life, subhanallah, uh, that Shaytan now has as a tool, as a tool, before Shaytan could attack us uh, using a, a, a limited uh, amount of resources. The resources that have become available to Shaytan now are, subhanallah, Uh, Unbelievable, unbelievable. So the point I'm saying is okay. So you're still trying to convince yourself whether you know hijab or keeping my beard uh, is is cultural or not. But one thing we all agree to is the Prophet ﷺ did it. Do you miss him? Yes. So do it, right? So sometimes we got to we got to get back to the basics, my dear brothers and sisters. You know, we have to come out of the polemics and, and, uh, you know, uh, today with the internet, no doubt the last 15 years has created a people, you know, uh, last, you know, 20 years has created a people that um, are different to the people of before. People are more educated, they're more exposed to different views, they're more exposed to evidences, they use evidences they don't understand. They don't understand. They use it. Lay people uh, uh, challenge uh, learned people. That's the age we live in, right? So let's come off all this deep discussion. Let's just go back to the basics. You love Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam, Yes. You miss him? Yes. Did, uh, did he not condone the hijab with the, with the females at his time? Yes. Did he not use the miswat? Yes. Did he not keep a beard? Yes. Did he not dress appropriately? Yes. In this way? Yes. So just do it. Do it because you miss him sallallahu wasallam. Isn't that a reason to do something? Indeed it is. And as I've said to you, my dear brothers and sisters, you know, we, uh, you know, the giants before us, they became giants because they did things because it was a sunnah. To them a sunnah was was not like, this is wajib, this is sunnah. No, there was wajib, yes, but even the sunnah was something that never left their lives. Never. Today, if it's a sunnah, we literally treat it as unimportant. Allahumustaan. It leaves our life. Say, brother, sister, this is sunnah. And we say it in a way like, you don't have to do it. No. It is sunnah, yes, in terms of ruling. But do it because the best person to have walked the face of this earth did it. And he only did it and never left it because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loved him. Right? Right? And this is important. And um, there were elements throughout the centuries of Islam that would belittle things if it was a sunnah. And I, I shared with you once uh, a person who came to Ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu Allah, And he asked that, is the witr uh, sunnah and uh, Ibn Mas'ud عنه, he said that the Prophet never left it he goes but is it Sunnah he said the Prophet never left it he goes but I'm asking is it Sunnah or in, in, in another narration he was asking is it compulsory and Ibn Mas'ud said the Prophet never left it he said is, but is it compulsory he said the Prophet never left it so one of the companions of Ibn Mas'ud, عنه, he said to him, that why didn't you, why didn't you, why didn't you just tell him that it's, it's not compulsory, it's, it's sunnah. So Ibn Mas'ud عنه, said, I looked at him and I felt that if I told him it wasn't compulsory, or if I told him it was sunnah, then he would just leave it altogether. You see, so the Sahaba were giving tarbiyah. This is tarbiyah. This is muraat halal mustafti as the scholars of usul al-fiqh discuss and say. It's looking at the condition of the questioner before giving the, the questioner an answer. Right? So he looked at his situation. And you see how the Sahaba were, were murabbis and developers even in the fatwa that they gave. Right? He says, I looked at his situation. If I just gave him the ruling and said it's sunnah, he, he, he looked like a type of person who will just leave it altogether. That's not good for him. So I told him the Prophet never left it. Sallallahu alayhi wa What do you need me to repeat, Abdul mateen The, 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 statement, the story related to Ibn Mas'ud, it is a lengthy one. So if we can access the recording, that will be great, inshaAllah. JazakAllahu uh, um, khairan. So brothers and sisters, the point to, to, to take note of is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam missed us and he missed us greatly. Right? Uh, let's miss Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And that's, how, that's why we're discussing uh, provisions for the hereafter. It's a book related to the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa We must ensure, especially as workers in the da'wah, that we are closest to the sunnah. Our speech is close to the sunnah. Our actions are close to the sunnah. Everything about us is close to the sunnah. Has to be like that, my dear brothers and sisters. It's of utmost importance that we do so that we are revivers of the sunnah. And perhaps somebody will become inspired by looking at what we do. They'll start using the miswak, And their life will become a sadaqatul jariyah for us. That they saw us using the miswak, so they started using the miswak. They saw us making dua during the last hour on a Friday, so they started making dua. They saw us fasting a Monday or a Thursday, or at least the three white days in the month. And they started fasting, alhamdulillah, right? And their whole life becomes a sadaqatul jariyah for us. Right so my, my dear brothers and sisters in the da'wah you know you have a great role to play it's not about the sheikh who will come and teach the course or will come and speak at the conference and you you busy selling tickets no you are a da'i selling tickets right you are a da'i at registration you are a propagator you are doing the work you are as important as the sheikh who's coming to speak you are as important as the sheikh who's coming to teach yes You are as important because your work has created the platform for the teacher to teach and the students to learn. And your work has put you in uh, the limelight where people take guidance from you. So you are the actual Da'i. Right? Uh, If not even more important than the actual dua to come. Right? So Uh, It's important that you take lessons, you learn from your dua'at and you revise yourself. Don't just be working in the da'wah because it's a pastime, it's nice, the brotherhood's good, and, and, and you forget about yourself. Uh, don't forget about yourselves, my dear brothers and sisters. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَكُونُوا كَالَّذِينَ نَسُوا اللَّهَ فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنْفُسَهُمْ Do not be like those people who forgot about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can forget about Allah when you forget about the Messenger wasallam. right? Don't be like those who forget about Allah. They, they leave the sunnah, فَأَنْسَاهُمْ أَنْفُسَهُمْ So Allah made them forget about themselves. You know, our lesson is coming to an end today, but I want you to focus on this ayah throughout the week till our next lesson. Whilst you're driving, whilst you're cooking, whilst you're taking a break from study, ask yourself that, have I forgotten about Allah? And has Allah made me forget about myself? You know, some people say, Shaykh, my salah, the, my, my consciousness is becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And I tell them that how often do you remember Allah? How often do you look after the teachings of Rasulullah wasallam? How often do you uh, learn about Allah and His names and His attributes? Have you forgotten about Allah? Let it not be a case... Uh, in which um, you uh, Allah has caused you to forget about yourself because you chose to forget about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I revise my dear brothers and sisters. As I said, shaitan has a lot of tools available to him. He makes us forget, you know. Our work becomes a big part of our thoughts. Our families become a big part of our thoughts. Sometimes somebody's health in the family becomes a big part of our thought. You know, the pressure to pay the bills and the taxes and to renovate your house or book that holiday or, you know. These things everything's a pressure today. And we forget about Allah. But the successful one is the one who doesn't, so Allah doesn't leave him to be, and Allah is always with him. And that's why in part of the du'a of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he would ask Allah to never ever leave him for an instant, even if it's for the blink of an eye, and never to make him rely on his own abilities even for the blink of an eye. Do not let me re- become reliant upon myself for the blink of, uh, for the period that happens when when you blink. No, Allah, don't leave me even for that split second, because لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. لا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله. There is no power nor might except from Allah subhanahu wa taala. So uh, take care of this ayah, my dear brothers and sisters. In another ayah, Allah says فنسيهم, that they forgot about Allah. So Allah left them, right? Allah left them to be. Allah left them to be. We don't translate it as Allah forgot them because Allah doesn't forget anything. But even if some translations say they forgot about Allah, so Allah forgot them, then this is similar to how we say in English, forget about him. It doesn't mean you're going to delete him from your mind, but it means just don't bother about him. So, Nasullaha, They forgot about Allah. They weren't bothered about Allah and His laws and His commands. So, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala left them to be, left them to be, left them to be a product of their own choices and and, 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 and uh, uh, decisions, inspiration. Uh, Stop reaching them. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala protect us. So, my dear brothers and sisters, we've uh, started this chapter on wudu, and Inshallah, next week we will continue as well. I have many other narrations uh, to share with you uh, regarding um, uh, wudu, and uh, Inshallah, we will um, cover some other uh sound bites pertaining to wudu uh when we uh, get together and then bismillah ta'ala we will move forward to the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's guidance uh during the prayer bismillah ta'ala and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best um Muhammad Al-Hashim says, Shaykh, how would you advise a Muslim thinking of removing hijab as given in your example? My mom's friend's daughter is in this situation. Yeah, this is how I advise her, my dear brothers and sisters. That, look, firstly, you know, um, when somebody uh, starts to um, have thoughts which take them further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we, we should not behave in a panicked fashion in front of them. Yes, we should panic, but they shouldn't see the panic. A lot of the times, especially with teens, what happens is um, they go against the norm. They they say we're going to remove the hijab, for example, or somebody's going to shave his beard, for example. And then what happens is we end up panicking in such a way that we end up grounding the child, we end up scolding the child, we end up ignoring the child on the dinner table, we end up ignoring the child, uh, you know. And what happens is shaitan uses that as a tool. And causes that child to rebel. So it might be that the child might have been, you know, having thoughts about it. But now that child is definitely going to do it. Or the child might have had thoughts of stop, stopping, you know, uh, or, or getting back towards doing something. Or putting the hijab back on. Or let me start growing my beard again, for example. But because of uh, this whole uh, environment that's been created causing this person to rebel, this person says, no, I'm not going to do it. Because the ego, shaitan then uses the ego as a tool. So the ego now steps in and tells this person, if you now wear the hijab, you're going to be weak. They beat you. Your community beat you. Your family beats you. If you grow the beard, they've beaten you. This is what happens. Right? So it's important for a da'i not to panic. Right? For, for parents not to panic. Um, uh, it's very important. What you got to do is deal with the situation. Look at the trigger. What's the trigger here? Perhaps it's school. Perhaps it's a change of environment. You you might have gone to another city or vicinity. Previously in your other city, there was no issues. Now we have issues. Look for the triggers. And then as a parent, work towards uh, dealing with that circumstance. And that is what parenting is about. That's why it's called parenting. It's a verb, right? It requires a process. It requires action. It requires you to give certain things, take certain things, right? You got to fix it. Sometimes you're in the kitchen, you're cooking, right? You're cooking. You're making a sauce, or you're making something. It's tasting too soury. It's tasting too sweet. It's not balanced. You got to fix it, right? <laughs> the, uh, not that I'm a cook, uh, my dear brothers and sisters. My wife cooks very well, mashallah. So, you know, I just do the tasting. <laughs> I wish I could cook. We cook up other things, walillah alhamdulillah. But the point is, sometimes, you know, you got to balance. You got to balance it, right? You have to fix the sauce. Sometimes you're whisking something and it's not thickening. It's supposed to thicken. It's not, it's not thickening, right? It's, it's splitting, for example. What do you have to you gotta fix it? Maybe you've got to add an egg here or some milk here. You've got to do something. You've got to fix it. That's part of the process. When you have a business, same thing happens, right? Sometimes you promote somebody. Something it doesn't work out now. You got to fix it. You either got to, you know, fix it in a way that doesn't make the situation worse. Sometimes you got to remove the person. Sometimes you got to send the person on training. It's part of life. So you don't want to panic. If you panic, the situation is not going to change. It's going to be the same. In fact, it could get worse. So why panic? It is what it is. Let's work towards fixing it. Um, and you know, perhaps share this advice that I've shared with uh, your your friends, your your friend's mum's daughter, um, and 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 say, look, you know. Just attach her heart to Allah and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and ask her what's her position with them, right? Uh, do you love them? Yes, then fo- imitate them. Imitate, what uh, uh, follow Allah's commands. When I say imitate, I mean follow His commands. Imitate the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You love him, right? Um, and that is enough for us to continue with the hijab, to continue growing with the beard until a point when we are convinced and Inshallah we will become convinced because it is the haqq that we should have a beard or we should observe the hijab. So this is what I'm saying, that sometimes you get, you know, the youth, they come to me, they say, no, I'm not convinced, Sheikh. Even though the evidence is as uh, clearer than the sun, they're not convinced. Khair, that's fine, that's the situation. Everybody's hearts are different, shaitan's at work. But I'm not going to be afraid of shaitan. I'm going to dismantle shaitan's work. How? Through a calculated process filled with wisdom and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. My dear brothers and sisters, I love you all for the sake of Allah. It's important we keep these lessons to the T so that you come back. To the lessons. You know, you don't feel that the lessons don't start on time or they're overrunning and then you lose motivation. Uh, some people, mashallah, they look after time and looking after time is from the sunnah as well. So let's follow that rule. We will end today's class here. If you need to write to me, the brothers and sisters um, of this particular class will share with you details to write in. There are forums for you to use. alhamd To discuss things, please use them. Um, I will also answer questions on them bidnillahi ta'ala if those questions are there. Let's learn together. And more importantly, let's put things into practice. I love you all for the sake of Allah. Everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaytan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. May Allah preserve us in his obedience. Until next week, my dear brothers and sisters, Subhanallah, wa bihamdihi subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu an la ilaha illa ad nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka'ala Muhammad.